0: Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Conversations.
1: Conversations. Hello, everyone. Welcome back again. We are amidst the reread of all our Cosmere novels leading up to Stormlight. It's the year of the Cosmere 2020, all Cosmere, all the time. We last time started Mistborn Era 1. We got through. The Final Empire and Well of Ascension. And this time we are looking at the incredible conclusion to Mistborn, Era 1, The Hero of Ages.
0: This book is like actually so good.
1: It is so good. It reminds me why Mistborn is so often recommended as one of the quintessential Brandon works it's maybe sometimes easy to overlook, you know, Mistborn, the final empire is kind of this almost cool standalone. It's got a tight plot, definitely setting up the next two books. But when you get to the end of this trilogy, it's just so overwhelmingly well done and wraps everything. It becomes like the perfect trilogy.
0: It's so wonderful. And I think... Kind of to speak to what you were just saying, I feel like I often overlook Mistborn in general because it is more of a like young adult novel, sure. and I just feel like in the spectrum of the Cosmere and like with how grand and epic Stormlight Archive is... I forget how grand and epic Mistborn actually is because I feel like it looks small when you put it next to Stormlight, but it's actually so incredible.
1: And probably the most important in terms of Cosmere potential. We know that Mistborn has plans to go to Era 4. We know that there is a lot of ability for the magic systems and the three metallic arts to be transferred between different Cosmere planets. So it's Clearly, one of the most significant titles in the Cosmere, and yet it is easy to overlook until you really just dive in and remember how amazing the whole epic is. It really is just like one of the greatest trilogy stories. I am constantly blown away. I don't want to just like go off on a crazy tangent, but it's so good. I was left in tears. Near the finale, I am in awe of how everything played out and worked out. I'm in awe of the criticisms that we gave, few though they were, yeah. <laughs> in our last episode. And then you just like, oh, none of those really mattered. And like it all paid off just fine. Uh, and maybe that's why you shouldn't break right after the second book mm-hmm. in a trilogy. But
0: I mean, I do think it's interesting to see the way that Brandon sort of reconciles or wraps up the qualms that we had for book two I will say just the stark difference between the ease of reading of the hero of ages and the previous book like still says to me that there are like still issues with book two that could be better however he does a great job in book three of reconciling those things and kind of like making them make sense retroactively, which isn't ideal, but is better than it could be.
1: Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of real-world things that are happening. Mistborn did take off. It became Brandon's most popular novel, uh, I think by far. He had done Elantris and Warbreaker previously, and he was actually contacted by... Robert Jordan's widow, after Mistborn came out, to finish the Wheel of Time epic, and so at the same time that he's finaling his own Mistborn trilogy, he's also finaling one of the longest running works of fiction that we've ever seen. Uh, and generally, while this is not a podcast about the Wheel of Time, people thought he did a great job of that. I think it's just an example of. This is when Brandon went up to another level and was really showing off his potential and his greatness as a writer, but it does just kind of clearly seem to be at that next level of workmanship and perfectionism and uh, crafting of the story. Like Everything just works so well in Hero of Ages. It is an overwhelming book. It's easy to read. It's a little bit more straightforward, I think, in kind of the the way the plot is moving. And, and it's got like speed and direction and purpose. And the conclusion of this trilogy is, I don't know if there's a better one. Like, I'm, I'm trying to come up with something. Everyone will obviously be like, oh, Lord of the Rings is a perfect trilogy, but... It don't got now Mistborn in Lord of the Rings, you know? It don't got Vin and Zazed and his epic climax. Like, there's so much to love about the Hero of Ages. And that's it. I love it. That's that's all.
0: Should we go into our first segment, which is just our biggest thought or, like, biggest takeaway from this reread?
1: Yeah. What would you say is kind of the the biggest thing that you want to pull out the one big thought of the hero of ages and Mistborn era one as a whole
0: piggybacking off of what we were just saying the thing I was really struck by is the sort of zoom out aspect that happens over the course of this trilogy where the first book you start you know super focused in on Vin and this like small group of people and then you know, the second book, it gets a little bit wider, more zoomed out. You're, you know, looking at really the whole city and politics and things like that. And then in this third book, you zoom way, way out and look at the entire surrounding area plus all of the like cosmic significances, all of the different species, sentient species that are here. And so I think that Trajectory from really small and zoomed in to really big and zoomed out is just a really well done um, aspect of this trilogy.
1: For me, I would say that the way that everything ties together, the way that the three metallic arts are unveiled and their powers are understood and how they work together and in opposition the way that the characters progress and grow and you have some of the downsides or the drawbacks that we mentioned in our last episode with The Well of Ascension are really rectified and fixed in The Hero of Ages. It's just such a, I think, a potent story. Like, it's it, it's meaningful and has such great I don't know gravitas of storytelling like it's bold in many ways and I just love how Brandon is able to make this world come alive as as more than a world like he, he goes beyond what I would normally think is possible and it doesn't feel hokey or silly it has the potential to certainly i mean we're dealing with like cosmic things and, and godlike powers but it all works so well and as you said it's a slow escalation and a slow build and just is demonstrative of the fact that brandon had this huge plan for just Mistborn for for only Mistborn era one he had this beautiful arc and plan And that's what we are basically hoping that the entire Cosmere turns into, but on a grander scale.
0: And I wonder, I'm just now thinking of this, I feel like this is a great thesis and I want to like write an entire essay proving what I'm about to say.
1: Master's thesis, (laughs) here it comes.
0: I feel like, okay, this trilogy, first you could, there's an argument to say that the first book is about alamancy. The second book is about Faroukmi. And the third book is about hemalurgy. Yeah. And then I think you can also argue that the first book is about the physical realm. The yes. second book is about the cognitive realm, right? It's all about people thinking about who they should be or who they want to be or like the idea of who they are and what they are and the idea of governments and what governments should be and then the third book is about the spiritual realm and about the humans meeting divine power and how the mortal and the immortal interact with each other
1: I think that's such a great pull and definitely one of those like meta context, meta themes that is really what drives this podcast, drives so much interest in the Cosmere is what you just mentioned, uh, how it's all seemingly operating together and working together in that really beautiful way. I don't
0: know if Brandon intended that. Like that would be be Oh of course. It does. If it is intentional, maybe I'm just, you know, one of those AP English students reading way too much into it, but
1: (laughs) No, because there is so much the the secret, right, is in the epigraphs. Like that when you break those down and you just read the epigraphs. I
0: cannot even wrap my brain around how Brandon wrote all of the epigraphs, which are primary in world sources, and then breaks them up and puts them at the beginning of the chapters in just like the most perfect way and I don't I can't
1: exactly it breaks your brain when you just oh this was all here every chapter had we mentioned this a little bit last time but it's even more apparent in hero of ages because it's all moving so it's all wrapping up. yeah exactly yeah. so it's just like making all the points really clear but the chapter headings are all introducing the concepts and the connections that are important to understand for the chapter and the previous chapter, and it's like merging everything together with what you know about hemallergy and alamancy and feruchomy, and everything is merging at once, but also slowly unveiling the process so that it's so impressive that for so long, Brandon is able to keep the reader guessing and keep them wondering oh my gosh and it's yeah. like it's a mystery right up to the very end what is going on with Vin? why can't she call upon the mist we it's a, like a legitimate thing that you just can't figure out and then when it snaps together at the end obviously i'll spoil this all the time here people <laughs> i hope you know that when it all snaps together at the end it's like oh brandon has been not just like leaving breadcrumbs But putting up gigantic billboards telling you what is going to happen and making it. Kind
0: of, but I would also say that the sort of misdirection or the success of the number of twists and surprises that happen in this book is evident in the fact that even this time on my third reread, I did not remember that. The whole like cavern scavenger hunt is all orchestrated by Ruin, also, that he's like making them try to find the ATM for him. I did not, I didn't get that from the read. Like, I didn't remember it. I was completely surprised again when she finds that out. And so I feel like the fact that those kinds of things can endure three rereads is awesome.
1: It really is, it's incredible. Do we have any criticisms that we want to address?
0: I do not. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's perfect. What?
0: It's so good.
1: Like, I think that the, the only criticism that can be leveled is one that, like, you have to cut Brandon a break on. But the concept that, okay, so now this is going to be the introduction to the broader Scadrial and Mistborn world maybe things could have been clearer or more direct uh when you are also introducing the Mistborn era 2 and the Mistborn era 3 in like what way well I am really reaching for a criticism here I just want that to be clear I merely think that if Brandon was planning all of the other Mistborns out from the very beginning Perhaps there would have been different focuses or or different attention paid to different issues. For example, like Spook becomes a major player, Lord Mistborn, uh, by the end, and a revered mythical feature by we get to Mistborn Era 2. Maybe, as we mentioned in Book 1 or Book 2, he gets more of a starring role. More attention is paid to him if that was going to be a setup Again, I'm reaching for criticism here. I'm looking for like the most nitpicking of things and it's it's nothing, it's small.
0: Yeah, I would say it actually does a really good job of setting up the world that we then see in era two, which is like one of my favorite things. I Because I feel like when you read a series like this and you are you know a fantasy nerd like we are and you get so wrapped up in this, world and when it ends like you just want Want more more. you want to know like what happens after and I just love that we then get to go into era two and like find out exactly what happens after and we get to keep living in this world as it moves through time
1: it's going to be quite a ride and I am really enamored with the Mistborn artwork we were gifted the leather-bound Mistborn uh, for Christmas this past year, and so much beautiful artwork, so much uh, attention to detail and things like the map and the geography, and it's really just a wonderful world to exist in with so much long-term potential. I think one of the things I am most excited about or, like, most looking forward to is how the religions and the mythologies develop over time we already know how important religions like survivorism the path or pathianism become in Mistborn Era 2 but what does that turn into in another 100 years or 150 years Mm. or another 500 years like what that's really interesting I, I think that's probably the one of the big through lines, obviously with a character like Zay's introduced so early, introducing all the religions of the past, I'm interested in how those events that we saw in Mistborn Era One become mythologized and romanticized and how it plays into the future of Scadrio. Let's go through our five key points. Five things that we loved, want to take away, thought, want to dive deeper into all start us off and then we'll go back and forth after that i think that the finale of hero of ages when ellen is fighting on the ground with the atm mistings against the Coloss, oh my god then is fighting kind of above the planet or in the planet or just in the cosmos against ruin and Zazed is there to to watch the fall, the death of Elend, Vin collapsing and falling to the ground, and then Zazed running out across the field that's just been coated in blood over hours and hours of fighting, and he comes to that moment when he is kneeling before both the shards and realizes or or takes upon himself that position of hero of ages the fulfiller of the prophecies the one who always was going to be this center point and he reaches out and grabs both of becoming harmony and merging preservation and ruin together it's such an epic conclusion
0: yeah i would say the finale of this book, which is basically all of part five, like once you start part five, you are in the Sanders Avalanche and it is hardcore. It just does not stop for that entire last section. And I feel like this is right up there with Oathbringer for me in terms of just like epic ending that is absolutely incredible.
1: The imagery, the way that the world is ending and how everything is happening kind of all at once. I mean, Vin is becoming preservation, basically, and she's discovering the power and she like makes a couple of quick mistakes and like spins the world out of control and then sets it back. And then while Ellen and the Coloss are fighting, it's
0: There's so many interesting and beautiful parts of this finale vin ascending and like this cosmic love and power that she has to wield for her planet and the man that she loves and the people that she loves is so beautiful i love ellen's battle speech before they go out to fight the coloss, where he's just like i'm asking you to die like he doesn't sugarcoat it and he just tells them like Yeah, we are, we're gonna die. And I think the, there's just something so powerful and beautiful about this book and the way it pushes your expectations to the very, very limit where each time in like a normal book or a normal world where you would be like, oh, okay, like here's the point where everything starts to get better. They've lost everything they can lose. Now it's gonna, you know, now they're gonna start to win. And it keeps pushing that boundary they just lose and lose and lose and lose and lose and vin and ellen literally give up absolutely everything in service to their world and their people
1: i think what is so beautiful too is that through the epigraphs through the epilogue and also what we know about Born era 2 and secret history that there is this burgeoning respect or maybe understanding that comes with the Lord Ruler and this evil character from the first novel that, you know, really builds up this concept of just a a perfectly evil, tyrannical, Darth Vader-esque character. And then you get these shades of understanding and finally a much better understanding of what the Cosmere scale of what's happening on Skadriel is and how this individual Reshek is. Let's go to one of the epigraphs and I just want to read from it because it's both Cosmere significant but also I think puts into play something that is important to understand for the rest of the Cosmere. Quote, soon found a balance in the changes he made to the world, which was fortunate, for his power burned away quite quickly. Though the power he held seemed immense to him, it was truly only a tiny fraction of something much greater. Of course, he did end up naming himself the sliver of infinity in his religion, Perhaps he understood more than I give him credit for, end quote. And that concept of a sliver, we've definitely talked about before on the podcast and what a sliver is and who is a sliver, but the Lord Ruler becomes the best example in the Cosmere that we know of a sliver, and that is one who has taken the power of one of the shards and then given it up. I think that that...
0: Although I guess Roshak doesn't really give it up in that way. He does take it for himself. If we're like talking about the prophecy, you know, it he uses it up and is no longer invested with the power. Yes. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Yeah. He doesn't remain a shard. He he has the shard power for a minute, and his way of giving it up is specific. Other characters like Kelsey. I are mean, given, Vin and Vin, Yeah, Vin literally give it gives it up. Yes. And so. <laughs> the I think that's just an important reminder of what is kind of going on all of these stories are fractal and they're just a sliver of the infinity of the cosmere and it's a really beautiful way that Brandon incorporates both the small scale and the large scale in this story, the personal characters, and the big picture. It's just so beautifully interwoven.
0: Especially in the epigraphs in part five, which are from Cezad after he ascends, quote from him, even now I can barely grasp the scope of all this. The events surrounding the end of the world seem even larger than the final empire and the people within it. I sense shards of something from long ago, a fractured presence, something spanning the void. I have delved and searched and have only been able to come up with a single name, Adonalsium. Who or what it was, I do not yet know." And then he also, when he picks up the two shards, he says something like, actually these two powers belong together. I don't know how they were ever like split apart which is just super interesting so we get all these like little tidbits about the greater cosmere mythology
1: and to bring it back down to the more personal scale or the individual scale i just absolutely love the writing and the back and forth that brandon introduces between spook's story which is going on in Erto, and then jumping back to Vin and Ellen outside Fadrak City, the way that Brandon builds up, he, he's explaining hemology, he's explaining how allomantic savants work through Spook's story, and by distracting you by giving you one character and you're finding out more information and you're like oh this is so cool spook's been stabbed and he's become a pewter and you're learning that's that
0: funny the first time i read this book i for sure was like stop telling me about spook Like, he's so (laughs) boring. Just take me back to the regular story. But obviously, like, this time around, when you know all of the importance of a spook storyline, it's way more interesting.
1: Absolutely. It's such a good way of, you know, distracting you or, or using misdirection to introduce the reveal of the story yeah and that's what i was talking about like putting <laughs> up the billboards uh for the reveal and how this story ends i mean you
0: really i mean you really need his storyline to, to like understand, understand yes. yeah what has been going on this whole time with vin
1: Vin, and you understand zane because while you definitely get that zane is spiked you don't necessarily understand what that Spike means and what that entails until Spook also goes through the process. We find out that multiple leaders, uh, including the one that was left in charge of Yeah, Penrod. Exactly. Penrod was Spike. Oh my gosh. And there is just all of this, everything interweaving perfectly together. But Spook's story and the way that his kind of rise and fall as the survivor of the flames plays out is so perfectly done as the reveal comes that vin has been spiked the whole time and as you said earlier like third breathe through obviously you remember that like oh yeah vin's earring it's important we've been talking about it multiple times like you don't you don't quite forget that it's important
0: every time she mentions her stupid earring i'm just like take it
1: out and it it just becomes so much more apparent how brandon is you know throwing out these things like she has this desire this uh kind of addiction to her ear there
0: are so many times when it like falls out in dramatic moments or whatever like in The Well of Ascension, when she takes the power, her earring falls out and is, like, in the pit or whatever after the power has been drained. And Vin specifically, like, crawls back down into the pit just to get this tiny little earring. Oh, my God. That is way too much work for an earring girl.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And... It's one of the things that Kelsey remarks upon super early. He's like, No, it's it's fine. You're not supposed to have metal on you as a misborn, but you know, something that small, something piercing your skin, it'll be cool. And to be can,
0: fair, his point about her being able to use it in an emergency, like does a happen point. a couple of yeah. times. Like she does. Well, use she it. uses it
1: <laughs> in that way, um to, to fight Marsh. Yeah. And it's in that moment that she then is Able to call upon the mist again and immediately then puts her, the earring back into her ear,
0: maddening, and then
1: struggles to figure out why she can't call upon the mist <laughs> again. Know. It's just, but I didn't feel like, oh, I definitely know what's going on, and Vin oh, is dumb,
0: yeah, 100%. And that's
1: like the the beautiful balance obviously like yeah and
0: even outside of those like big moments with her earring this time around i was noticing the subtle little ways that brandon like continues to remind you about it where you know it'll just be in the middle of a sentence or whatever it'll just be like vin fingered her earring while she was thinking about blah 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 he just like has these little drops just to keep reminding you like remember she has an earring in (laughs)
1: and then that of course perfectly plays as we mentioned in the last book how they were building up the coloss building up ten soon as a character showing you more of the condra and the coloss and and introducing how they are made by the third book you have the coloss armies that are you know it starts we open with vin and ellen collecting Coloss.
0: oh my uh, gosh yeah that flip and then when ruin takes them and is he, like of ha course ha. he's
1: gonna take them oh he's of course gonna take I them. i forgot
0: that too and i was like no how yeah. did i not remember this
1: because it's just like it's the logic anything that is spiked is of ruin. Yeah. It, and it's so clear in every one of the characters, we're learning about oh man, Spook's been spiked. This is bad. He's <laughs> and at the same time we're like, oh they definitely need more coloss. Yeah, it's a really good <laughs> coloss. Yeah, coloss are a great <laughs> thing for you guys. And well done. <laughs> it's a incredible reveal when the Chondra, the first generation, meets with Zay's and such a crazy kind of meta-mind-bending thing, but the first generation are terrasmen, the oldest terrasmen, and of the same generation as the Lord Ruler. Of course, that first generation is the grandparents, the multiple great-grandparents of zazed and he is, you know, their their progeny. I forget the exactual exact word that they use for him, but they they have like he is one of us, and he he gets to talk and he gets to um, have this position kind of of honor and explain to us what's going on in the outside world. They call for the resolution and they remove their spikes so that they cannot be further controlled, further taken over by ruin like the coloss, and that was always going to be the plan. Like, it, it was a setup from the very earliest. You go back and you look at every time they introduce the the Chondra and what their characters are, and they're explaining first um, the guy who's playing Valette, which is Orsaur, and then he becomes Tensoon, and then you have this kind of slow progression of and reveal of what the Chondra are. It is truly remarkable like i just i don't know how it's done i I can't imagine i'm blown away every time i read the series
0: the chondra are super interesting and i feel like even now like even by the end of this series we don't really get to the bottom of where this terrorist religion and like where their knowledge of ruin and preservation have really come from or like even say says where did the original Hero of Ages prophecy even come from? Like, Ruin changed them, but where did it come from in the first place? And that question is not answered, and I really want the answer.
1: Well, I think that there is... We know that Trell, Autonomy, has followers in Mistborn Era 2. We know that Trelogism was being practiced on schedule before... I don't know if this is all a cosmic battle of Cosmere shards. Like
0: Yeah, but that doesn't really make any sense that Trell would have planted this prophecy.
1: No, but what about another shard that we're not aware of that we have real like it's just if Trell is an anything, example.
0: I would say that it would have been Adonalsium. Sure. In some way.
1: Or like some leftover remnant. We have the people of Silverlight that are, you know, the, the Cosmere University uh, that are out there. And I think we have no real idea about what the myths are, what the histories of any of these places are. It's more apparent on Skadriel because there have been these clear breaks in times where, like, the world is broken and remade by the Lord Ruler first, and we don't really know what happened at all before that. And then by Zazed after the fall of the final empire and what happened before that is also kind of, to the people in Mistborn Air 2, all mythological by that point. And it's only been a couple hundred years.
0: Yeah, because the entire world is destroyed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Literally completely remade. remade, yeah.
1: I just, we don't know. And we don't know any of the histories of these places, but we do know that it goes back to Adenoseum. I'm also super interested in what's going on. And I think kind of the way to understand the past is to keep moving forward. Like we, we're going to get more of Scadriel and it's through the more of Scadrial know, that we are going to get the like
0: past. If we keep moving forward, the past is going to get erased. Like I want to go backwards. I'm like Condra, tell me, tell me the answers.
1: Yeah. And by Mistborn Air 2, is a near godlike figure in the conjure religion and he is in the same way the first generation was kind of revered, that's what Tensoon becomes. And so Tensoon, we kind of already feel is like not to be revered, not to be idealized, not to be uh made the center of a religion or a power structure because of his own failings, but that's definitely what he becomes. And it just it always it's the same thing in Oathbringer. And I think more on display in the Stormlight Archive how flexible the past is, how Mm. flexible history is.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a theme that we see throughout the Cosmere. And piggybacking off of that, another connection between these two worlds that I found during this reread is that Vin sounds a whole lot like Kaladin. She has this whole, you know, fight within herself in book two about killing and protecting. And then in book three, she says multiple times that she has, like, made her peace with her role killing in order to protect, um, which is very similar to Kaladin's struggle about can he be a healer and also a warrior and even the story of preservation's gamble way back then when in creating the humans is that preservation knew that it would need quote something that could both protect and destroy something that could destroy to protect end quote
1: which is like a kaladin windrunner-esque mentality
0: Kind of, yeah. I mean, I don't know if their if oaths really say anything about destroying, but it's certainly the central uh, conflict that Kaladin faces.
1: I find that pact, that bargain, and as you said, that gamble that preservation made is such a beautiful one, that concept of creating the thing where he's giving up some of his power. This is where we get the... Kelsier quote in Mistborn's Secret History about souls and human souls and metal being yeah. the same thing is that it's preservation. The metal and the souls are both items that preservation gave a little bit extra to uh, in order to make this play against ruin, this long-term bet that the, it would be the humans that were able to destroy and outthink and out wit ruin not preservation himself
0: yeah i think that's another big thing that i took away from this third reread that not only throughout the course of this trilogy do we find that ruin is smarter and craftier than we gave him credit for but preservation also is much smarter and craftier than originally I had given him credit for because the story is told like, oh, preservation just wanted life. It wanted to create. And so it sacrificed something to have life. But actually, he knew what he was doing.
1: Yeah, there is a quote. um, I believe it's from the epigraphs, but describing what ruin is. And it's not just like mindless destruction, but able to plan for destruction. So Ruin's actually capable of building something up in order to destroy more things later. I mean, Ruin would have no problem with like creating a city uh, politics structure if it meant more destruction could be done when, you know, his king or whoever he had uh, spiked takes over and, and is killing huge numbers of people. In the same way, preservation is also able to do that. He's able to set up multiple moves and multiple aspects so that they can all line up and work together.
0: Yeah, he plans for ruin's end from the very beginning.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean the whole the whole creation the whole pact is a multiple meta level bet against <laughs> ruin. They have the, like the straightforward patch. very
0: long con of just being like, oh, I just want humans. This yeah. isn't a ploy to kill you at all.
1: But then Ruin's <laughs> like, oh, no, I figured out your trick. You are trying to keep me trapped uh, by yeah. the Well of Ascension. Like, you, way to go, preservation. You thought you were so <laughs> smart. No, I'll figure out a way out of this and to repower myself. So it's just like, w- once again, as a reader... Brandon's like tricking us with every new book, and Preservation was tricking Ruin with every time Ruin thought he was successful, and we thought Ruin was successful. (laughs) It's really just like, nope, I knew that was going to happen, and I knew that was going to happen, and I knew that was going to happen. I mean, to be fair,
0: he cuts it. Real close. He does
1: not. I mean, it's like a multiple stage failure when you're just like, everything is going wrong. Yeah. But.
0: Hey, 16, you guys didn't get the message for centuries? Yeah. <laughs> Whoops, my bad. Thought it was super
1: clear. It was definitely That's even better in uh, Mistborn secret history when he's just like, w- Crazily screaming yeah, at like, Kelsey, he's like pacing get around, it? like pulling 16. his hair it out. It works; it's so perfect. Everyone's gonna get he's it. Like,
0: I'm trying to communicate. This is so obvious. <laughs> I think also along those lines, something that previously I found really a little bit confusing is the reinforcement in this book from multiple different characters about the mists being bad about multiple different characters saying like the mists are evil the lord ruler says in one of his uh notes that he leaves behind in the caverns the mist is such a foul hateful thing you should scorn it and human the kolos says i hate the mist because it hates me vin obviously is constantly talking about how the mists are evil blah 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 she like gets this bad feeling from it and so to me i feel like the first couple times i read this that was so much evidence of you know backing up vin's feeling like oh it's not just vin like everyone feels this way so it must be true right and then this read i realized that like it says when the lord ruler took the power he was also able to be influenced by ruin in that moment like ruin could whisper things to him obviously with the kolos and vin Ruin is able to influence the way that they feel or think in really subtle ways. And so that's the common thread there, that Ruin is sort of emphasizing this feeling of distrust of the mists.
1: Yes, and that is such a beautiful, terrifying aspect of Ruin's power is that even when, I mean, just the creation, the Lord Ruler's creation of the Colossus and the Chandra, he thought were ways to help him maintain control of his empire. And he did it with the power of preservation, but it was Ruin whispering to him that entire time. And the way that plays out is really just a, you know, 4D chest gets mentioned a lot today. Oh, he's playing 4D chest. He's so smart. But this does just seem like a crazy amount of pieces that are being moved all simultaneously to end up in the same place. It's, you know, a strategic tour de force of writing and...
0: Yeah, I was going to say, what a writing accomplishment. Because like I said, this is one of the things that just reinforced to me, even if you're reading really critically, you know, and like trying to unravel the mystery, this is the kind of thing that lulls you into a false sense of security so that you get that twist at the end.
1: All right, let's talk about our Cosmere connections. What is going on in this book that we want to keep in mind when we're looking at the broader Cosmere? basically everything, right? Just the whole book is a Cosmere connection.
0: Pretty much, yeah. We've already talked about a bunch of different Cosmere connections, but zooming in a little bit, the character of Dern, who is like a beggar lord that Spook meets in her toe, um, who has a mysteriously good sense of rhythm. Spook even says perfect rhythm, jumps out to me as a potential world hopper. And there is a word of Brandon. All he said about this was, Rafo, read and find out. So I feel like that's kind of good evidence that Dern is a world hopper.
1: Keep an eye on that guy. <laughs> I love the secret history, understory, backstory, uh, parallel story that was added to this because we get that vision of Kelsier's perspective on many of these events I mean he sets up the final ascension of Vin and there's even a moment after Vin dies and the two shards fall where Kelsier like gives a look over at the shards and you can this is coming from and Secret History but you have that feeling of like could he go grab them? Like, what? W- what? What was he thinking in that moment? And he has this moment of hesitation about going towards the shards, and then he sees Zay's coming up. And because by this point, Kelsier is already a sliver; he's already had that supervision of all the possible futures. Um, I think that he understands that, like, he's not going to be the one, and that Zay's is always supposed to be the one. That just sets up the path forward for Kelsier, who is, you know, survivor, savior of the people of the South in Mistborn Era 2, confused for, quote-unquote, the Lord Ruler, and his reemergence in the physical realm with the one spike in his eyes. Marsh, meanwhile, is the kind of symbol of death or, or the grim reaper of Mistborn era Two, you clearly have things like spook becoming lord Mistborn you know given those extra powers and and cured of his addictions and the damage that was done to his body setting him up to be the leader of the people right after Catacendra I think even stuff like Spook's street slang becoming known as High Imperial in Mistborn Era 2 is just perfect.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, we'll talk about all of these connections a little bit more when we do our *Ear 2 podcast.
1: Yep, we're already reading *Alloy of Law. Everyone else can be as well. I think for the broader Cosmere off Skadriel, we also have mainly the importance of Hemalurgy the importance of the metallic arts maybe generally and the way that they can be utilized outside of a specific person.
0: I don't know if we know that about allomancy and Ferukami. We have a word of Brandon saying specifically that hemorrhagy has implications for the greater cosmere.
1: Yeah, I think that My guess is that because of what we will find out in Era 2 about how powers can be transmitted into a device, the little cubes or fabrials, if we're just using that, you know, magic by technology, uh, I think that that is going to be the most important aspect that comes out of Mistborn Era 2, much like the introduction of the three metallic arts and their explanation of how they work is probably the most important thing to come out of era one. You get this... That's
0: interesting. Yeah, the... It would be interesting to see what would happen if you took, like, one of the cubes from Ear Two to Rashar and was like, Absolutely. Hey, you can design your fabrials off of this. Maybe that is what happened. Yeah. Maybe that's how they got fabrials in the first place.
1: Because we... Or... Like, there's speculation, and I don't know if the timeline lines up perfectly, but that because we think that something from Ashen traveled through the physical realm using something like a spaceship or somehow moving their population, like, maybe that technology came from Skadriel because we know that Mistborn Era 4 is a spacefaring race,
0: Yeah, I don't know if that timeline adds up, though.
1: There's also the speculation that the ones above in the First of the Sun novels... That
0: I feel like is for sure.
1: ...are Skadrians who have arrived on that planet and are, like, not totally getting involved, but are clearly involved. They're definitely getting
0: involved.
1: You know, as that story plays out, you you very clearly understand that they're getting involved. But there's this kind of, like, weird... uh, fear about the the ones above and the way that they are impacting the local people and i think and i believe that there will be a lot more of those types of connections that we'll see maybe through the physical realm primarily maybe we won't get as much world hopping through the cognitive realm from later Skadrians, but it will primarily be about physical realm from place to place.
0: I mean, I guess it depends on if they can access the cognitive realm, but it seems like cognitive realm would still be faster. Oh,
1: definitely faster. Yeah. Yeah. But like, like the I only reason like, they would like have harmony may shut that down
0: is because they can't get to the cognitive realm. But just from like a philosophical perspective, hemallergy gives us so much for the greater mythology of the cosmere in introducing bind points and the specific points on a person's body that can be influenced and the idea of the spirit web, right? Yeah, a person's something about- spirit web being able to hack your spirit web or, you know, that there are specific places in your spirit web that are affected and can provide investiture and things like that
1: yeah it's definitely similar in ways to what we see on rashar with the knight's radiance their spirit web being broken which is then described as allowing the spren to kind of fill the gaps and fix what is broken
0: bonds into that hole
1: yeah and exactly bonds the uh not just to the individual but like bonds up and brings them back together in the same way that Hemallergy is able to, through destruction, you know, forcibly bond together. Uh, it's kind of a... Well, it, it brings up questions, I think, too, about what is introduced in Oathbringer more with Maya, Adolin's dead spren blade, and their relationship, which we certainly think will be played out more. But, you know, is there something going on with Hemallergy? And the shard blades, uh, yeah, because the bond, shard
0: blades. Well, if you get sliced with a shard blade, it slices through your spirit web.
1: But then, the knight's radiant, or at least Kaladin, has oh. shown the ability to heal those types of injuries, mm-hmm. and
0: and just like shard blades in general, being able to bond a shard blade like some type of again, yeah, some type of attaching it to your spirit web yeah it's like
1: how does that get attached now we don't think that it's necessarily perfect hemolurgy, but it does seem like there's some type of like
0: it's a similar principle
1: and there's also some secrecy where like no one talks about exactly how the blades are bonded they like go away for a period of like a couple of days or seven days I or think something you just
0: have to you have to have it on your person at all times but i think there's like bond it. there's
1: like a unknown not unknown to every character but unknown to the reader where something happens for a couple of days and then you just have to carry it for like seven total
0: i don't recall that i recall more secrecy around like the use of fabrials by the Ardens. there's definitely that. you could be right i just don't remember we'll find out soon enough when we do our (laughs) reread
1: but keep an eye out for like I would say heme and and how it can be used, metals, piercing bodies, like anytime you see that, uh, keep an eye out for what is going on with heme or even possibly something like uh, furukami where powers are stored in a place and then taken out later. I think there's a lot going on that's similar between like furukami and fabrials or how the spren are a little bit abused in a way. They're, you know, like taking the spren, trapping them in the fabrials, and then utilizing their power later. I think that's at least... Well, I think it's all connected. We should know that by now, but I really feel like those powers are kind of overlapping in some key areas. You know, in the Venn diagram, they got a big overlap section.
0: (laughs) Speaking of overlap... Our friendly overlapper Hoyd is seen, well, definitely once in Hero of Ages. Vin goes to meet with informants inside of Phaedrex, and one of the informants she's supposed to meet with is Hoyd. However, she does not end up meeting with him. She runs away, and we find out in Secret History that is because Kelsier scares her away from him.
1: Yeah, it's one of the great examples of you don't get the whole picture just by reading Mistborn, you know, the primary books, uh, because this is really just like in Hero of Ages. It just says, then it's supposed to meet with this person. She just gets a bad feeling. I get a bad feeling and she jumps and she's just like, I trust myself, you know, we're cool, let's go. And then you find out that kelsier is like shouting in vin's face as a cognitive shadow he's like don't trust that person real bad run away he only knows Hoyt i is.
0: always wonder what would have happened if Vin met with Hoyd in this circumstance
1: i don't know if anything would have happened or if it was just an example of kind of hoid kelsier not liking each other i have a hunch though that it is at least somewhat similar to what zazed mentions again from the epigraphs about preservation meeting with ellen the very last time
0: we didn't even talk about that moment but it's so heart-wrenching
1: and it's preservation's death his final moment on Scadrial, the last thing that he gives, he just appears before Ellen. And what Zazed says about it is, quote, "I don't know why Preservation decided to use his last bit of life appearing to Ellen during his trek back to Fadrix. From what I understand, Ellen didn't really learn that much from the meeting. By then, of course, preservation was but a shadow of himself and that shadow was under immense destructive pressure from Ruin.
0: Perhaps preservation, or the remnants of what he had been, wanted to get Ellen alone. Or perhaps he saw Ellen kneeling in that field and knew that the Emperor of Men was very close to just lying down in the ash, never to rise again. Either way, preservation did appear, and in doing so exposed himself to Ruin's attacks. End quote.
1: So I think it might have simply been one of those meetings those bumping up of two characters that could have possibly sent them in a different direction but we don't necessarily have the full picture of what direction that would have been or
0: what i know the... but i want to know of course
1: but we also like, want to know like what
0: if Hoyt had something great to say to vin that like would have helped her against ruin you know like come on Kelsier. maybe he would have been totally unhelpful but I just, it's one of those questions that just niggles the back of my mind.
1: I think you also have to at least entertain the possibility that Hoid unknowingly could have been being manipulated by Ruin or, like, forces unto his power. He's on Ruin's planet. Like, you got to give a little (laughs) bit of a home field advantage, I think, to the shards. And, like, clearly Ruin was doing a lot of... uh, Domination of the planet at by that point. Well,
0: and we know that Hoyt is kind of always in it for himself, yeah, or maybe not himself, but his own goals. So, as far as we know, he may have been totes okay with Scadriel dying,
1: or at least just a little less caring about it than Vin. You know, he might have mainly been interested in getting something. I think by that point, he already had, yeah, he definitely already had the bead of loracium and had gone to the Terrace homeland to learn as much as he could about furukami uh but you know if he's looked into metallic art one and two i'm not gonna put it out of the realm of possibility yeah. that he's also looked into Hemolurgy and Hoyt maybe even spiked enough, himself
0: but he would take he's like smart enough he would have taken out his spike you know Hoy doesn't want to be manipulated by anyone and he would know that that's what would happen.
1: Maybe he would know that that's what would happen. I do think it's like one of the great ruined tricks is that he allowed or helped create this power of heme allergy with like a backdoor hack that only he can he can fully take advantage of. And I, I would at least put it in the realm of possibility that Hoid spiked himself on purpose to gain some power or at least flirted with the idea.
0: Yeah, but then again, I think he would know enough to take it out actually physically on the planet.
1: Could you imagine if you had a spiked Hoid and you were able to just subtly influence the person who was trying to subtly influence (laughs) all of the Cosmere? Just be like, you, you could imagine how quickly hoid could like a carrier of a virus not to say anything about our friends in china and around the world but uh like hoid is the ultimate spreader of ideas or powers across the cosmere as far as we know as far as we know there could i be... mean
0: chris is pretty powerful too
1: yeah but hoid we know is collecting cosmere powers so like he could be the one that transmit hemalurgy from one planet to another he could be the one who is the impetus of for some of those cross-Cosmere power struggles.
0: All right. Obviously, we could spend another hour talking about the Hero of Ages, but our time on the pod has come to an end. Next up in our Cosmere reread is going to be Missborn Era 2. It is not complete yet. We are still waiting for the last book. However, we're going to reread the three books that we do have from era two and we will be back in your podcast feed in about a month. So if you're listening, if you're following along, you have one month to read Mistborn Era 2. If you are reading your own read, keep doing what you're doing and thanks for listening.
1: You can always find us on Reddit, Twitter, Facebook. We are everywhere. Hope that all of you are enjoying your 2020 reread so far. It's been going great for us and we are super excited about Era 2 and beyond. Brooke, can you take us away?
0: Until next time, life before death,
1: strength before
0: weakness, journey before destination.